And we're on Hollywood Boulevard. We are, guys. We took a week off, and we are back. Uh, you know, the world keeps turning. At whatever angle it is, it is. But here we are. We're here. Um, Melrose Place is officially over. We uh, yes. just did our very last um, Adios Fruitcakes episode of saying goodbye. Yes, to we said sayonara to the block. Six years of our lives watching that show. Pretty wild. Um, but now we're back on Hollywood Boulevard and we've got shit to talk about. We do. Karen, where to begin? Well, um, well, I think we need to begin <laughs> well. with um, the news that just broke today about Anthony Rapp. Um, he is doing a musical. I think it's a solo musical, right? Um, at New is it a, Broadway. Is it officially a musical? Yes, it is a one-man musical. Okay. Yes. Um, and it's called Without You, and it's premiering in New York on January 14th. Um, so what I kind of was struck by with this is that it is basically the news about the show broke almost at the same time that the jury in the civil trial that he had, the civil suit he had against Kevin Spacey, um, that judgment came down and, and Anthony was not victorious on that one no no he did not get the ruling he had sought and hoped for yeah um and this is really the first time his name has been bandied about a lot in the media in a long time yeah um now uh without you the show follows the memoir he did which is basically like his time during and then a little bit after the the phenomenon of rent Right. So, so the the announcement comes at an interesting time, but the the question, I suppose, that's also interesting is: is he going to add anything about his life into the content of this show? I mean, that is the question, right? Because I kind of feel like this is going to be the elephant in the room. Right. When he's up on that stage, is he going to talk about this situation? Now, he did release a statement on Twitter, um, which um, which I think is worth uh, reading, if I may. Um, I'm deeply grateful for the opportunity to have my case heard before a jury. And I thank the members of the jury for their service. Bringing this lawsuit was always about shining a light as part of the larger movement to stand up against all forms of sexual violence. I pledge to keep on advocating for efforts to ensure that we can live and work in a world that is free from sexual violence of any kind. I sincerely hope that survivors continue to tell their stories and fight for accountability. It's a hell of a statement. It is. Yeah, it's a powerful statement. It's a very powerful statement. Um, And I think, you know, particularly coming on the heels of... I guess kind of a surprising judgment. I I mean, I don't know why I found it surprising, um, but I did. Um, but I guess, you know, for whatever reason, the jury or who, you know, the jury found uh, that there was enough evidence. Um, and yeah, I mean, I did, it didn't seem like as the trial progressed, there was far too long ago. He said, he said no real evidence. It seemed like it's an impossible charge to have really proven beyond reasonable doubt. Um, but it feels weird because I think we as a society have all kind of just 
convicted Kevin Spacey in the courts of her mind uh, of a lot of ill doing. So that's why there's kind of a dissonance. That's why it feels like, well, maybe the verdict would have been different. Maybe uh, Anthony Rapp would have been vindicated. Um, But I can see why the verdict was what it was. I mean, I guess sort of my question to, to all of this is, why make the allegation if it isn't true? What did he stand? Yeah, I think that's what benefit? I think that's what a lot of people think. Yeah, you know, I mean, he really didn't because when he made this allegation, like, you know, was it before or after the other allegations that came from Spacey? Because I kind of feel like Spacey was like at the top of his career, and all of these allegations that came out against him, like, like really toppled him. You know, and I he, can't remember if, if his was the first. other ones came first or not. I can't either. But it was—it sort of felt like you know you don't like this. That's a hard allegation to make against somebody who is sort of like at the very top of his career. Like, like yeah, and it's—it's it's, it's it's a true. question of what are you really trying to do, making this up out of nowhere all these years later. Yeah, and that's why I don't think if that's if that's the case. Yeah, and I don't think that's the case. And I don't think that's. Um, the case. But it was a hard it was a hard case to win for sure. Like that's yeah, you know, absolutely. But I do think like you're exact like the question is, and that was sort of like the question that I posed and you know, no comment and you know, like there just isn't anything coming out um yet in terms of what is whether he is gonna address this or not. My feeling is at the moment, no. I bet he doesn't. I bet he I bet he doesn't make that part of the show. But and I hope this doesn't make me sound overly cynical. Uh, I don't think this show would have um, had a chance to to return to New York if it wasn't for all of the other media coverage of Anthony Rapp because of the trial. Hmm, that is cynical. Because <laughs> I think I, now I... <laughs> there's probably a perception that maybe what that is cynical. <laughs> But I mean, I'm possibly not wrong. I mean, you know, like, yeah. You know, because don't you just feel like, well, regardless, it, his name now has more currency than it did years earlier. I mean, does it though? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it could also know. be because everyone but me is watching the whichever Star Trek Discovery series or whatever he's on. And so if everyone is a fan of him for that, then... That's where interest comes from, too. I mean, I, th- I think, I mean, look, you know, the Star Trek has, like, a fandom. So I, I think that there is a built-in audience there. And there is a really great tie-in to Rent, right? Like, there's, you know, I mean, like, the opening night on tw- uh, January 25th, 2023 is 27 years to the day after Anthony Rapp took the stage at New York Theater Workshop doing Rent. To the day. I mean, like, there's... Like, I don't know. There, I th- I feel like Rent is kind of like one of those uh, touchstones. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. Know, it's a I, landmark. Yeah, it was a know, phenomenon. It was definitely a phenomenon. I, I can see this doing really well, with even without the whole Kevin Spacey shit. But it does make me wonder, like, when he's going to do interviews, for example, because he's going to need to do press. Mm-hmm. How how are they going to address this? How is he going to address this? They're going to ask these questions. Well, is it going to be a case of there's like a gag order on it and his people say, you can ask him about all these things, but you can't ask him about the 
Kevin Spacey stuff. Yeah, but you know what? Is he a big enough star to like negotiate a gag? I don't know. See, like that's the thing, right? Like you can you can say you can't, and you can you know say you can't ask those questions. But I mean, any journalist worth their salt. One thing, as an audience member, I think he shouldn't do though is if he is is be cagey. Like if you're not gonna address any of this stuff or add it into the show, make sure your audience knows that going in. Oh yeah, make sure you make sure if this is the story primarily of like your experience with rent and how it changed your life presumably um make sure they know that's what they should be expecting going in and i mean you know to i mean to that point like there is nothing in the materials that are out there that's saying he's going to address anything but talking about rent like it's very sort of specific that this is about bringing rent to broadway and that whole experience of being a part of this you know this right it's kind but it's kind of like okay but if your name has recently been around you know like in the press because of something um and even if you're saying this work is not about that make sure there's the the expectation is is curbed hypothetically for example i don't like any of these people that i'm about to mention but (laughs) okay (laughs) if kim kardashian announced she was going to have a one-woman show We'd ask about Kanye. <laughs> I think she would need to set the expectation that if she were, we're not going to be discussing Kanye. Yes. <gasps> oh my God. Could you imagine Kim Kardashian's solo show? I hope it's a musical too. Do you know that it's, we're immediately dismissing it? Like, well, she's not a theater person. It's gonna, it's like the next thing that they're probably going to try. <laughs> You get you've you've gone to like the cabarets of the housewives, right? <laughs> of one, I have. Yes, okay. I have yes. <laughs> and it wasn't bad, was it? Uh, it was kind of awesome, in fact. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so actually, like Kim Kardashian on my own at <laughs> it's, it's at, at the very below, least could be amazing. It's conceivable, right? <laughs> right. And could be amazing, right? For okay, you know, like for example, if Jada Pinkett Smith did a one woman show, she would have to say up front whether or not the slap was gonna be a part of it. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't know why else anyone would want to see this show. Or having a conversation about her and Will Smith's open marriage. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, but I think I mean, I think right now the expectation, I I think the expectation is that he's going to be talking about rent. I think so, too. I'm just curious if people think there's, yeah, rent is, rent is a seminal moment in theater, but it's also a moment from two generations ago by now. I'm just wondering if that story is enough for audiences. Well, I mean, here's a bigger question. Are like, are we finally getting our like, is Gen X finally getting pop, like culture, like are our cultural touchstones finally becoming a thing that people are willing to sort of bank on? Do you know what I mean? You know how like boomers always get like, you get the Rolling Stones rolling out on their tours. Like boomers always get the ex- get the entertainment like that they want, right? Like, and Gen X has always been kind of overlooked. And yeah, but 
are there other examples of like Gen X touchstones uh, like reemerging right now? No, but that's what I'm saying. Maybe it's time. I think. Well, I think it's time. Um, as someone who's on the tippy bottom of Gen X, I think it's time. Um, but I mean, but you know, there's also a different attitude, I think, of people who are like, we don't really care to go out and see all those things. Yeah. It's quite the same. Well, I guess, like, I'm going to say, like, Stranger Things, as much as it's about kids, like, young kids, I kind of feel like that's a Gen Yeah, but there's a lot show. of that 80s nostalgia. Yeah, that, yeah. You know, with that 80s nostalgia. And, I, and obviously, Rent was not... 80s and i don't know maybe it is a millennial thing maybe i mean i feel like it was kind of like grunge era but i was through college by then so maybe maybe it really is appealing to the millennials who were like the teenagers that felt like it was the show was speaking to them kind of like you know the gen z or whatever i think the kids are now. it's more of a gen x touchstone than it is a millennial touchstone i think the people just younger than me who fell in love with it um well i feel like there are people just younger than me at the top of like the the millennial spectrum probably are like similarly inclined to just be nostalgic and like something like rent or those actors from rent um but then i think you go further down younger along the spectrum and then it's they're the ones that like actually try and tear it apart Mm. um i feel like we may have bypassed the gen x window of them seeing their touchstones reflected and coming back and the millennials have already taken that over or maybe it's even gen z um, and I just will point to Hocus Pocus first for, <laughs> um, <laughs> and the way, the way like people can't stop obsessing about, about that. Like they want the things that they sat and watched on TV when they want it. That almost supersedes what the 40 and 50 year olds of the world want or demand from their entertainment. This is not a, this is not an expert opinion in any way. I've just seen it happen more in the um uh like the the pop culture things that re- that really seem to be devoured by people born in like the mid to late 80s early 90s. Mm. And I'll just I'll just like keep referring to Hocus Pocus as my reference point for that. Which like by the way I saw Hocus Pocus 2. Was it terrible? I never I've never yeah. even seen Hocus Pocus 1. You know, and I, I did. I saw I saw Hocus Pocus 1 in the theater. I was 13 years old. It uh, it came out in the summer. It was the same summer of, you know, like Jurassic Park and The Fugitive and whatever. Um, it made zero impression on me. I didn't remember it. Couldn't remember plot years later. Didn't, never thought about it. Um, but I didn't hate it. I was just like, yeah, this was just a silly movie that didn't find an audience and didn't make any money. And no one thought it was particularly good qualitatively. Um what the sequel reminds me of it's also not very good it's also not very smart no one's working too hard it's pretty safe um it reminds me of the tv movies you might have seen on like saturday nights when you're 12 years old you're not going out you're at home (laughs) maybe watching tv in a different room from mom and dad and like this is what's on for free that's kind of 
what it's like. And there's no shame in that. I'm not trying to disrespect that. Like there is, there, you know, like there are different levels of entertainment and what to expect from them. And that it's kind of like babysitting entertainment. It's there to babysit the kid and placate the parent. Um, And it's kind of like that. It's not, it's not particularly smart or memorable, but there really does seem to be a large rabid fan base. I don't know. Do they watch it every single year? I don't, I don't really know how these people consumed Hocus Pocus. Uh, It was not in a way that I did. Um, But it's that sort of rabid appetite that seems to be the squeaky wheel that, especially now that we're talking about streaming platforms and stuff, generating oodles of content, that seems to be what they lean into. Hmm. Or who they lean into. Who they're leaning into, right, right. But I don't know. I should also say, sadly a little bit, um, Melissa Etheridge had a really short run of a live show that she did, and I didn't get to see it slash wasn't really given much of a chance to see it um and that's more of like a gen x artist doing their thing i i guess i mean she's like 61 62 older right but i guess but she did sort of hit around gen x like that was kind of you know her big albums her big songs where i was junior high high school so yeah to me it was like a lot of the people who bought those albums had to have been 20 something right yeah, i don't know i just feel like she was always like a little bit older than me like i mean she is older she than is me. Like, she but remains I feel like... a little bit older than yeah, me. yeah but i mean you know but i i kind of feel like that was almost like she almost was in like that no man's land of you know of like what like who who that was like who where like who her music was sort of what generation the music was for right because she was yeah. sort of you know I don't know. Like she was making music. Who was she hanging out with? That was in her. Who was she hanging? I mean, like Katie Lang hanging out like no, that. No, no, no. I mean, she like in her show, she was talking about like you know she had a house in Laurel Canyon and um, oh, she was like showing literally. up to party and you know and it always felt like there they were not necessarily like Gen X people, but now I could be wrong, and maybe they were. I don't know, but she did have the kids. They were fathered by David Crosby, so that really like tips the scale 150 years older than everyone. Right. There's that. I know. Maybe that was it. It was like David Crosby is the father of the kids, and so it's sort of like, yeah, that's old. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't. I mean, I think that she's an incredible performer. But I, I mean, from everything that I heard about her show, it probably it just go to a concert. Yeah. I, I I get the same impression that it was that it was like she really just padded a concert and was yeah. like, just do the songs. Yeah, yeah, and and apparently there was no script, um, so it just was a lot of like looking at the monitor to like get a, an idea of where she was, like what story she. Was. So I think it was like very rambling and not very succinct. Oh, that's well, that's too bad, but alas, alas, and it was a short run. Yeah, I think it only had it had an official opening night that was reviewed, but I think it only had twelve additional performances before like a mandatory closing date. 
Yeah, like a really so the, short run. The the press team that was handling the show didn't even send me an invite. I asked for it, and by the time they sent me the calendar of available dates, there were so few that, and they were all booked. I was like, oh, I was unaware. I thought this had a longer intended run, at least past Thanksgiving. But I know. Closed, I thought it had it a longer on, run too. Like Halloween Eve Eve. So yeah, I I thought it had a longer run too. I was really surprised when I like realized the closing date was October thirtieth or whatever. I was yeah. like, why why do it? I know. Like why do it? You know, like why come in and do that? Yeah, really commit to, to something that's going to be a bit more of a to have more of a presence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was really shocked. I was like, wait, wait, what? Um, but hey you know good on you i'm sure she did well you know she's got definitely has the fan base so yeah and i'm a part of it which is why i was disappointed yeah and i don't think that they cared that the script wasn't well n- oh, non-existent no. or not no, sure they like didn't. they didn't care yeah. like they were yeah. just like there to see um you know etheridge perform like that was yeah they were just there for that definitely so, yeah, it didn't matter um so did you see anything that you want to talk about? I've seen a ton. Yeah. And let me just give you, yeah, like a little a smattering of things. Because uh, the good news is a lot of what I've seen um, I can speak of very highly. Really? Um, um, maybe I work backwards. Because um, just last night, the night before, um a show called A Man of No Importance opened off-Broadway at Classic Stage Company, um, which was a, a movie in the 90s uh, starring Albert Finney as a closeted Irish man. And then it got the musical treatment off-Broadway at Lincoln Center about 20 years ago um, with a book by Terrence McNally, who did Frankie and Johnny and Ragtime and, and, and Masterclass and Full Monty and and all these wonderful things um 20 years hence or 18 whatever however many seasons it's been um it's now been a little bit compressed it was two hours and change maybe 230 240 and now it's like an hour 45 an intermissionless um musical telling the same story starring jim parsons of the big bang theory well, and also Mayor Winningham. Well, and then you have these great stalwart um, character actors uh, of the New York stage, some of whom are you know, like also well-known from, from film and TV. Mayor Winningham as his sister. Yeah. Um, A.J. Shively, who's probably not a household name, but was a Tony nominee last year for the Broadway musical Paradise Square, right. also in a fairly prominent role. It's an excellent cast. That does great work, including Jim Parsons, who, no, is not Irish and, no, is not necessarily a trained singer. Um, But it's a role that you sort of don't have to be. Uh, And I thought he did really well by it. I thought it was a really lovely show. And I definitely encourage those who can to uh, to get a ticket for it. Some of the songs are are really beautiful, too. Um, So, no, that one is a win. In oh, my excellent. book, all around, excellent cast. The whole the whole ensemble um, is excellent. Yeah. So that was that one was really good, and also off Broadway at the Irish Repertory Theater, uh, they keep 
pulling me back. But this was an interesting <laughs> show. <laughs> what do you uh, mean they keep pulling you back? You I keep about? saying I'm not going to see anything else. There. I really, I'm, I'm not crazy about, oh. <laughs> like, physically the layout of the theater. No, the layout else. of the theater is hard. Yes. Yeah, um, it is. But this one was hard to resist. It's a show called Chester Bailey, a two-hander um, between a doctor and a wounded younger man in the 1940s. Um, and they're played by one of my, the doctor is played by one of my all-time favorite actors, Reed Burney. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other younger character is played by his son, Ephraim Burney. And they had done the show together in the Berkshires summer before last. And I, I made a note uh, that I couldn't see it then. Uh, COVID was still good doing way too many crazy things um but but if it moved and i had a hunch it would that i really wanted to see it and it's very worthwhile um it's not a brilliant show but i think it is a smart show about this poor young man who has been blinded and lost the use of some of his extremities in a catastrophic accident um what he endures and how um reed Bernie, the doctor's character, tries to help him. And at one point, um, the play takes a necessary shift and and we sort of realize that the medical profession has to help, to hurt this young man a little bit on their path to helping him. Hmm. And I'm not going to say anything more. And I hope that that does sound a little too cryptic because if it raises interest in people uh, to see the show, it's worth it. This is, I think, a more moneyed production also than some of the ones that the Irish rep does. The set is is very well done. The the sound, the lighting design um, in particular uh, are pristine. Um, it's really well directed. It's I, I highly recommend it. And the two performances are great. And you can't see the show and just say, well... Ephraim Bernie is just an actor's son. You have to watch and say, this man is an actor in his own right, and he's very good, and he's very credible, I have to say. Okay. I have a question for Irish yes. Rep, because I've only... Do they have two theaters, or is it just the one downstairs? They have a main stage, and I think there is a smaller downstairs space. They reconfigured the theater a few years ago, um, and I have only since seen main stage productions there, but I do think they have a smaller space. Yeah, see, I've only been to the smaller space, and that is an odd, like, it's just an odd space. Um, yeah, they're both a little odd still, but yeah, the one, the bigger space is a bit more uh, recognizable as, you know, like a standard off-Broadway or regional proscenium space. The downstairs space, I think, is probably, like you said, odd. Yeah, it is. It is not. It is not great. Although I have, I've really enjoyed the shows that I've seen there. So, you know, um, but I, and I like those weird little funky spaces better than main stages. So there's that. That matters. Yeah. Um, so. Oh, and I saw an off, I saw a a Broadway play, um, a revival, uh, also of a show from about 20 years ago. (laughs) Um, let's just keep bringing it back but this is a good one to bring back it's called top dog underdog and it was a pulitzer prize winner for a very worthy uh playwright named susan laurie parks who never does anything half-assed or condescends to kind of what uh the people with the money want to go see um and it's a it's a it's a really interesting show about two brothers um jokingly named booth and lincoln by their now long gone father 
Um, and you know, they, they're, they're currently roommates. One has just been left by his wife. Um, and he's staying with his other brother. They're both kind of ne'er-do-wells in their own right. Um, and ostensibly the plot itself is about how these two, two men get by, um, being black men in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. and one, the brother named Lincoln, uh, is actually like reenacting Lincoln's assassination in in an arcade type place. That's how he's that's how he's making his money. The other guy is actually trying and failing at doing three card Monty. Um, there's a lot simmering below the surface. There's a lot. Each of them is not saying to each other and probably to themselves. Um, and there are larger ruminations on the black man's place in the world at large. So a lot of people say, oh, yes, this play is so urgent. It's so relevant. Yes, I mean, but I think what what Susan Lori Parks was writing about 20 years ago were evergreen truths then, and, and we all knew it, and those who saw the play saw it then too. So, yes, these things continue to resonate, um, but they do not... It, it's not a pedantic show. It's not saying any platitudes. It's, it's telling a very harrowing story about, and also very often, very funny um, story about what these two men say and do. And it does like the great dramas do escalate at a pace. Um, And it has a really um, powerful payoff. And I think both, both of the actors um, are terrific. Corey Hawkins, uh, who's been in that Macbeth movie last year that Denzel Washington was in and who was in the revival of Six Degrees of Separation and who was in the reboot of 24, among other things. But I'm not sure if, uh, I'm not sure if, you know, like his, his ship has truly landed yet for people to know who he is, though it should after the show. There should be another Tony nomination in store for him. Um, and the other brother is played by Yahya Abdul-Mateen, mm-hmm. who has, you know, been doing great since winning an Emmy for the Watchmen miniseries and has been in the Candyman remake and the Matrix uh, reboot, among many other things. I think they're both really quite excellent in this show. Okay. I mean, yeah, they have, I mean, they've got some, like, hardcore credits. Yeah. Yeah, they both both have more than enough, I think, bona fides uh, at this point. And playwright susan laurie parks isn't done she has a show debuting at the public just in a couple of weeks i'll be seeing um and then she's also working on the book of a musical to be done at the public early next year as well so it's kind of a big season for her and and it's just getting started she's busy so let me ask i'm i'm kind of curious how how was the how how well sold what were was the theater um it was pretty well sold on the night I went, which was a press night and which was the night before opening night. So I don't know that it's a great guide okay, um, for how like long-term sales or even short-term sales right. are going to be. I was just curious because I know like they've been dismal from everything yeah. that I'm sort of hearing is like I, the sales have been absolutely like dismal. That's my impression. That's, that's, that's how I unfortunately see it happening too and i was just kind of it's really hard it's it's really hard to sell a show whose primary feature is its quality (laughs) 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 especially a play it's really good yeah Yeah. Yeah. go see it (laughs) if it's a musical there's hope sometimes if there's a star there's hope sometimes 
it's tricky for a straight play that doesn't have a big star um, to sell. Yeah. Yeah, really. Um, I, I actually really want to see this. I'm sort of like looking. I'm like, oh, I wonder if I can get in to see this one because the cast is just incredible. Yeah, they're they're really doing great work. It's a really good it's a really good production. Uh, and it's Kenny Leon is the director. And I don't always love everything he does. I don't always think it's inspired, but I thought this was very good. Cool. All around. Amazing. Anything yeah. Else? And I well, yeah, I wanted to talk about two movies that I've seen recently as well. Um, I mean, in, in addition to Hocus Pocus 2, both. Ooh. But I went to the movie theater to see another film, The Banshees of Inisherin, which is the oh, latest Martin McDonough that's Martin movie. McDonough, right? Yeah. yeah. And it and 15 years ago, he did, or 14 years ago, he did the film In Bruges with Colin mm-hmm. Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, who were both fantastic. Um, and now they're both back in a very different movie. Um and it's set a hundred years ago, actually, in this small fictional Irish town. And it's the, the, these two men have been friends, and all of a sudden, the Brendan Gleeson character tells Colin Farrell that he doesn't want to be friends with him anymore. Which, in a small town with no knowledge of the world beyond you, where all you do is walk to like the one local pub, what does that even mean? And clearly. The Brendan Gleeson character is going through something, but but McDonough doesn't really pull any punches and, and tell you too much about what that is. This is really the end of something, and it's it's darkly humorous in many ways, and also sad in a very sweet way. And the two of them are just so good. And I love what I love about the movie is that there's never a big Oscar Beatty moment or speech where one character finally reveals this is who I am or how I feel or why we Mm. don't get that, which doesn't happen in real life. Um, It's just, it's, we watch the dissolution of a friendship and you know, like what the people around town observing it kind of think about it. Um, And there's also a couple other excellent performances. Um, one by Barry Cogan, I think I'm pronouncing it right, K-E-O-G-H-A-N, who's just a wonderful younger uh, Irish actor, um, uh, as as one of the other people around town, um, uh, who has uh, a troubled relationship with his own father. Um, and also Carrie Condon, a wonderful actress who plays mm-hmm. Colin Farrell's sister, who is excellent, so good, makes every moment count in this film. Um, it's the kind of film, if you didn't have any hype, no one would walk away from and say these actors deserve awards. And those are always the ones that I think are the best and the most award deserving, because those are the ones where you have people that are telling a story and playing characters that are the truest to life. And that's what all four of these actors are doing. They're playing things that are really true um, and with with, you know characters who have moments and things are holding close to the vest and stuff like that it's a really great movie really really great um can i ask and you something in the theater you you keep asking for permission you can just ask um do you think that martin mcdonough is a better filmmaker or a better playwright i think it's an even draw really i do because i think i'm more drawn to his early plays 
from his career. Okay. But I think he's demonstrated uh, a maturity and a, a sensibility that has worked out better in film in his later years. Now, it's not perfect. I think in Bruges is close to perfect. I think this film is excellent. I don't know that the Three Billboards movie he did with Sam Rockwell and Francis McDormand is as perfect. I think some of that is a cultural thing because it's right. very specifically set in the Midwest. But, I mean, I think Beauty Queen of Lenin is excellent. And I think The Pillow Man as a play is a yes, masterpiece. Yeah. And I don't think his last few plays that I have seen have been at that level. But I do think a movie like this, like Inna Sharon, is at a higher level. Right. So I think there's been a shift. Interesting. Were you going to say he's a better playwright? No, I was actually just, I don't think I've ever seen any of his movies. Um, and so I was just kind of curious um, because I know that he never wanted the playwriting career. He always wanted to write, yeah. do movies, you know? So I just am very curious, you know, how, if that, you know, if like, oh, the irony, if he was a better playwright, but it sounds like he's able to do both. And I, and do, I think that that's Yeah, great. I do think it's, I think it's not a case of, well, he stumbled into his true strength. I think he knew how to make it work. Right. And then he knew how to make it work again. Right. Um, which reminds me, I'm going to do some arithmetic here. In Bruges is a movie I highly recommend for you. I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. But I do highly recommend, because I recommend it for everyone, and there's a third great performance in that movie, and that's Rafe Fiennes. And I also want to very quickly say, I think I've seen Rafe Fiennes on stage for the first time, because I saw him in a play last week as well. Oh. At The Shed, which is the new off-Broadway theater and the new Hudson Yards development. It's a David Hare show that has moved from the UK here, and he plays Robert Moses. Um the i mean i almost want to say like grandmaster architect um because the show really does take a stance which is that he did far more damage than good um mm. you know he impoverished a lot of people he made he created jones beach but it was only accessible by a causeway that he created which meant poorer people couldn't access it it was elitist it was exclusive he tried to build a highway straight through um Washington Square Park in the village. So, the you know, every character, like, almost out of a Wikipedia entry in the show, argues that he's too arrogant, he's he's not doing any... He, he's doing more bad than good. Um, and I just think that is a... I don't disagree with that. I think it's a very modernist view to take, but I don't disagree with it. Um, but I also think you're not doing the job of a playwright because whether you say Robert Moses did good work or bad work or whatever, you need to portray him as a human. Like we've talked about this before. Like he still is the protagonist of his own story. And we don't get that as an audience. Cause he's, he, he's, he's built as a monster, even though he's the leading role of this show. Um, he's written to be imperious um, and nothing more. I'm like, well, he eats, right. He wakes up every morning and thinks there are things <laughs> that he wants to do with his time. He's some mother's son. Like, there's there's that to wrestle with as well. And David Hare doesn't really wrestle with it. But Ray Fiennes was very good. And it was uh, a real privilege to get to see him on stage. And I had I had uh, neglected when I was still talking about the other shows uh, to mention that. So I, I did want to say that. Okay. Um, and then real quickly, just because we're still coming off of Halloween, I did see one scary movie last night. 
You did. What was it? It's a new one on HBO Max called Barbarian. That I've heard all sorts of glowing things about. Oh, and I really oh, get. I want to see that one. Do you know anything about it? I know. Oh, God. I was just being, somebody was just telling me about it yesterday, and now I don't remember what they said. But it sounded like I might like it. So let me just tell you, like, the the setup from the first two minutes. And I won't say anything more in case you're going to see it. Again, it's on HBO Max. Uh, A woman comes to town uh, for a job interview. She's booked an Airbnb. It's kind of a rundown neighborhood. It's a stormy night. Um, And she finds out that somehow this Airbnb has been double booked. And there's already a guy in the house. Now, she's already in town. She's nowhere near home. She has this job interview tomorrow. What should she do? Should she also go into the house with this guy? Also, she is a black woman. He is a white man. Does that portend anything? Um, And then the rest of the movie is what happens from there uh, with with some major shifts from it. Okay. So now I was told by somebody that it was like amazing i need to see it your thoughts well i'm glad i saw it i don't know that i think it's amazing i would love to get a second opinion okay so i need to watch that is what you're saying uh, yeah i'm gonna recommend it because it sounds like other people have said it might be up your alley yeah i think maybe the film thinks it is doing more than it is and i'll leave that there okay i'll leave it there okay um and we'll leave you guys to go back to your lives Uh... i'm sorry i'm cutting i'm cutting you off karen is there anything else that you wanted to talk about i'm so arrogant no i think i'm good i got nothing all right um Karen has some good news, meanwhile, personally. She's starting a new job later this month. I am. And that means we may be bouncing around our recording times a little bit. We may not necessarily be back next week. Not exactly the same time. So just stay tuned. In the meantime, as always, that means there's more time to throw things our way that you want to recommend that that we watch, that we talk about, that we digest for you. So um, please, you know how to find us. Um, let us know. And we will um, be back in your ears uh, shortly. Yes. We're, we uh, have every plan to be. Okay. All right, guys. Meanwhile, happy November. Mm. Boy. Boy. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>